I want you to open up in your Bibles in the, uh, in the book of Revelation. We are busy with part 7. And this morning, we come to the fourth church. The church of Tyathira. Tyathira. Now this is also known as the corrupt church. We all know what corruption is, isn't it? Some people will say the government is full of corruption. Or that country is full of corruption. This particular church that we're going to see here is known as the corrupt church. And if you think about how we went through all of these churches, starting with Ephesus, the loveless church, Smyrna, that, that port city there, who was the martyr church, people died there. You remember Polycarp? And then we went up to Pergamos, and there Antipas was killed. You remember when he said, my faithful Antipas, the one who was against all. That was a compromising church. Now we get to a corrupt church, and you can see the flow that's happening. Compromise might be giving something away small every single time. But then what flows after compromise is corruption. Corruption is not good in the church. If you have a country which is corrupt, it's not good. If you have a government which is corrupt, it's not good. But let me tell you one worse. If you have a church that is corrupt, it is terrible. And here we're going to read about a church that is corrupt. And you will also find this church is the one that is most said out of all the other seven. Although Tyathira is the smallest of all of the other seven. Now corruption is the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. It is the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. The churches operate of entrusted power of God. Power does not belong to the church, the pastor, or the clerici, the leaders of the church, although these days they think the power sits in their hands. They operate as if they have the power, but that power does not belong to the pastor. That's why I've got it against these super pastors, these superhero pastors, the superstars of the church. There should be no superstar of the church. It's His power. We just operate in that. It's not our power. It's not power that we can have over people, but it's when people, churches, take that power and they use it for private gain. And you see a lot of that in the church today. All these televangelists, they're all in it for your money. It's for private gain. It's for power control. And it's corrupt. It corrodes the church, the fabric of the church, right to the bone. It changes the DNA of the church because it becomes humanistic. It becomes all about man. If you listen to the songs, the worship songs of these churches, it's all about bless me. It's all about me, God. I'm the centerpiece of this. And that is the corruption. It corrodes it away. It undermines people's trust in the church. You walk into your workplace and you talk about the church and you, you know what the people say? The church is full of what? Hypocrites. <laughs> it's just a bunch of hypocrites. It is when the pearls of God is thrown before the swine. That is a corrupt church. That is when the church indulges into the world. It starts with compromise and then it goes over to corruption. And it can cost people their freedom, their health, and even their money. This is what corrupt churches do. They're after people control. And this is the church we're going to look at this morning. So, without further ado, let's read what the Word says about this church. I'm going to read the whole passage for you, and then we're going to come back and unpack it for you verse by verse. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, as you follow in your Bible. And to the angel of the church in Tythira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. 
And as for your works, the last is more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because he allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That is terrible. That woman called Jezebel. And see what she does. In verse 21, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. Isn't God gracious? I gave her time. You know what God is giving this world? He gives this world time. There is still time for lost sinners to come to God. And she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Let that be known as a warning this morning that the Lord will give to each one according to their works. It's not what you say, it's what you do that matters. When you appear before Him one day, He's not going to say, well said, good and faithful servant. What is He going to say? Well done. Your works. Verse 24, now to you, I say unto the rest in Tithyra, as many as do you not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessels. And I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the public reading of your words. Your word is powerful, Lord. It is living. It is powerful and is sharper than a two-edged sword. And this morning already through your Holy Spirit and your word, you've already spoken and is working in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Father, now touch my mind, my vocabulary. Father, give me a peaceful, calm spirit to bring your word to these people in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Tithyra, as you can see on our map, it is just south of Pergamum. In fact, if you look at Pergamum and you look down at Laodicea, it lies within that trade route that comes right down to Laodicea. Smyrna is that big port city, and if you go in there with trade right into Asia Minor, these cities here became the doorway to Asia Minor. And although Tythira was the smallest of all of these other cities, and the church most probably the smallest of all of these other churches, it is still a very important city in the straight route as you go down from Pergamum to Laodicea. Not a massive city, so whereas these others over the past few weeks, I told you how they were these great cities, Tythira not. In fact, Tythira was a business and trade center. This is the place which was well known for its dye, the dye that they made to color clothes. It came from this little region over here. That is what the plants and everything they used to dye clothes. And we know about this. In Acts chapter 16 verse 14, we met a lady that came from this city. And she was well known for the art of dyeing clothes. Let's read about it. It says in verse 14, And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. This is Paul when he preached. What the ladies used to do then, they went to the river. And at the river they prayed. They prayed to God. And then Paul came into that region and he went down to the river and he met the ladies down there at the river and they prayed. And what happened? He started preaching to them. He started telling them about Christ. He gave them the good news. 
And here we see in verse 14, and a certain woman called Lydia heard us. She heard the good news. A seller of purple of the city of Tythyra. She was selling purple. Who worshipped God, whose heart the Lord opened, so that she attended to the things which were spoken by Paul. It says here, whose heart the Lord opened. Friend, the fact that you are sitting here this morning is because the Lord has opened up your heart for the gospel. He opened up your heart. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, he says, For by grace we were saved, through faith, that not of ourselves. And that is why it's so important that if the Lord opens up, if the Holy Spirit comes to you and constantly talks to you, to open up. And you know who does it? The Lord opens up your heart for the Word. God opens up your heart. He pulls you through the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit starts working through you. And then you hear the Word, the Gospel, as happened to Lydia here, and the Lord opens up her heart. And what happens? so that she attended to the things which were spoken by Paul. And when she was baptized, you see that? She was baptized. She and her household, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she constrained us. That tells me she wanted to have them there. She constrained them. She said, please come into my household. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to invite Him. You need to bring Him into your household. And she constrained Him. She wasn't going to let them go. I like that. So this was well known for die. It was also the birth of trade unions. They called them the guilds. There was a guild for the carpenters. You become a member of the carpenters' guild. And they would have gatherings of the guild of carpenters and the merchants, the guild of the merchants and the cloth makers and many more. In this little city, they started these guilds. And like I say, when they came together, they planned how they're going to give out licenses and they controlled every single thing. On the straight route coming down, there's a lot of buzz and busyness going on there. So for these people to have these unions and controlling everything on that busy road down there, it was very important. It was the birth of that. It's important to know these things. Because if we're going to look at the corrupt church, we will see that the world influenced the church to become corrupt. It was also known for Apollo worship. Apollo. There was a temple for Apollo. Apollo was the sun god. And remember when I tell these things to you, we don't believe in these gods, okay? Although I'm preaching this to you, we as a church don't believe and we don't worship these gods. But I think it's important that you know what happened in the day of those churches. The whole community will worship Apollo. The church worshipped Jesus Christ, but these people living in that city worshipped Apollo. His Macedonian name was Tyrannus. And, and they say that he was the son of Zeus, the big God, the mighty God. Zeus, the God of prophecy and of music. Corruption came into this church through two mediums, through prophecy and through music. And it's the same today. You have today people going around proclaiming to be prophets. Listen to the songs that churches sing these days. Because through songs they bring in a doctrine which is so far from the Bible you wouldn't believe it. But it's got a catchy tune. Yes? And we can clap to it. And we can hop, skip and jump to it. There was also a temple there of Sybil or her Greek name was Sanbethi. Now this lady was known to be a Jew, and a Chaldean, and a Persian. And she, they say, had to have, she had the gift of prophecy. 
Now think about this. It's a female, it's a lady, and she's got this gift of prophecy, and then for the Jews she can be a Jew, and for the Chaldeans she can be a Chaldean, and for the Persians she can be a Persian, and she's got all of these influences, and then she proclaimed to prophesy. Self-proclaimed prophetess. It was also the place where Gnosticism started. Gnosticism had two errors in it. They say that matter is evil and the spirit is good. What does that mean? It means this is matter, my body, and I can live what I want to do. I can be immoral. I can do every single sin under the sun because the body is, is evil, but the spirit is good. Oh, I did it because I didn't mean to do it, but the spirit is good. That is one part of Gnosticism, and it's happening today. The second one is they claim to have a higher knowledge, which only a few knew. Isn't that what we hear as well? I remember once preaching in New Zealand, and uh, after a sermon, there's a man who came up to me, and he pulled me to one side, and he started telling me something which is not in the Bible. And I said, well, friend, if you can open up the Bible and give me a verse for that, I'll believe it. I'll preach it from the pulpit. And this is his words. He says, oh no, that's revelational knowledge. It's only revealed to me. It's not in the word. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. I said, well, then I can't stand on it. I can't take it. He says, but you must. You must. And I said, but wait a minute. Why is God only revealing this to you? And this is his words. He says, because it's only for a few that he gives this revelational knowledge. So you see, it didn't just happen in Tithyra. It happens in our day. In our day. Watch out for people who say, thus says the Lord. They arrive. There's a lot of them. If they say, thus says the Lord, you know what I do the first thing? I go straight to my Bible and I say, okay, where did the Lord say this? If we had to take every single word of the so-called so proclaimed self-prophets these days and, and put it in the Bible, man, there would be no space. Every single man this morning as we sit here on a Sunday morning, today in churches in New Zealand, in Australia, in America, in Europe, there will be people standing up and they will say, thus says the Lord. And you know what I find so interesting? One person will stand up and say, thus says the Lord. And another one stands up and thus says the Lord. And they contradict each other. Isn't it amazing? And then you will have hearing in the background, because I listen to these, you'll hear people, as soon as they proclaim, thus says the Lord, you'll hear people in the background shouting hallelujah, clapping, and amen. They are corrupt. And we're going to see it in the church of Thyatira. They are corrupt. Self-proclaimed prophetesses. This temple was there of Sybil. And you've got to remember, within this place, there was a church of God. And everything outside is influencing what's going on at that place. So with that as your knowledge, this leads us into the title that Jesus uses to address this church. What title will he then address? Remember that they had there the son of Zeus, the big God, the mighty God. Apollo was worshipped there. And we had these people who said that they speak on behalf of God. This is what he says in verse 18. He says, and to the angel of the church in Tithyra, write, these things says the Son of God. It's interesting, isn't it? By now, you would be all over this and awake about this, because Jesus Christ, remember, what is the title that he uses for himself most in the New Testament above any other title? Son of Man. Son of Man. More than any other. Why? Because the Son of Man is a link between heaven and earth. Yet with this church, he says, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like flames of fire and feet like fine brass. That's his example. That's his title he uses for himself. The Son of God and two things particular, the eyes like flame of fire and the feet like fine brass. Why would he use that? Because, dear friends, Son of God talks about his deity and his divine power. To this church, in this city, who worships Apollo, the son of Zeus, which they thought was the mighty God, to them, to that church, he says, this is the son of God. He is the all-powerful one. He is the almighty God. So who's Zeus? 
Listen, let me tell you, I've said it before, and I like to say this every single time. When God sits on His throne, there's nobody on His level. Nobody. There ain't no Zeus there. There ain't no Apollo there. There's no Mercury there. There's no other gods. At our level, we can always find somebody better than us, can't we? There's always somebody better. If you think you're the strongest man in the world, there will be a stronger man than you. If you think you're the most cleverest man in the world, there will be somebody more cleverer than you. The Bible says, Paul says that he will use the foolish things to make to nothing the wise. Isn't it amazing? Yet when it comes to God's level, there ain't nobody else. Now he says to them, I'm the son of God. Who is this Zeus? Who is Apollos? Nobody. Nobody. If you want to talk about a figment of your imagination, that's what they are. But he is the Son of God. Then he says, he says, he uses these two particularly. He says, eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. The eyes shows his omniscience. He can see everywhere. We're talking to a corrupt church here. Corruption lies underneath the surface. You can't see it straight away. You just know it's corrupt. But he can see through the corruption. That's why he uses the eyes like flames of fire. Especially in searching and penetrating. You and I one day is going to stand in front of him and he's going to look into your eyes through those flames of fire. And they are going to be penetrating. You can't stand there and say, no, I didn't do it. Really, I didn't do it. I didn't put my hand in the cookie jar. Really, I didn't do it. He's going to know it because he's going to see through, penetrating through with those eyes. The same with this corrupt church. And then secondly, he says, feet like fine brass. That talks about purity. What is the opposite of corruption? Purity. He's pure. If you think about brass, there is no corruption in this metal. It is pure. And then also, its firmness. In those days, it was the strongest material you could find in the ancient world, was brass, was iron. So he he tells this church, with his title coming in, he says, first of all, I'm the divine power, and I am omniscient, I can see everything, you can't corrupt him, and then also he's pure and he's firm, he stands on what he stands. Isn't it amazing? Friend, to you and me today, a personal application, we know that we serve a God who can't be corrupted. You can have corrupt governments, uh, uh, countries, you can have corrupt churches, but we have a God which is not corrupted, and He cannot be corrupted. So, He says then in verse 19, I know your works. And what does He know? Your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. You can classify this into two. You can divide it into two. One is an active and another is a passive. Active is your love and your service. That's active, isn't it? They're busy. This is a busy church. They corrupt, but they're busy. And the passive side is their faith and their patience. And one leads to another. If you look at it, love leads to service. You, you are washed by the blood of the Lamb, and He saves you through His love. And what do you want to do? You want to serve God. And you offer your body, like Paul says in, in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. For what? For service. Friends, you're not saved to just come in church and sit there on the chair. No, no, you are called into service, and that's what we do in this church. You, you know, I find it wonderful. If, if we stop preaching here, what happens? There's people grabbing the vacuum cleaner, start vacuuming. We don't ask them, do we? Do we have a list in this church and say, oh, this Sunday it, it is your turn to vacuum, next Sunday it's your turn? No, we don't do that. Why? Because people come in here and there's love, the love of God and the love of God's people. You want to participate, you want to give service, don't you? And, and the ladies in the kitchen, you know what happens? They go in and they wash. And, and I know, you know, I, I'm just not built for that, Andre. When I stand there and wash stuff, you, you, my back can't hold it, man. I've got a lot of respect for our ladies, for your women in this church. You know, I can't. If you stand like that the whole time, I go, oh, after two cups, I go, oh, nah, nah. give it over to people who can do it. And don't call me old. Please don't. 
This is what He does. In this church, we see an example of that. We see our people love, and because they love, they serve. But look, those are works they do. But that's the thing with Christ. Once you find the love of God, you want to serve Him wherever you can. People give up their lives. People give up their benefits and everything. They go to countries, and they live amongst native people. They give away luxuries. Why? They do it for the love of God. The love of God. Paul, he says that. He gave up everything for the love of God. He was the most brilliant student in the university. And you know what he did? He gave it up. Why? For the love of God. It, it leads into service. And faith leads into patience. Isn't that right? Faith leads into patience. We can persevere. Why? Because we have faith in God. And this is what this church did well. And this is how a church grows. This is how it grows. Not by advertising. Not by going around trying to pull other people to come to your church. People are attracted to love, isn't it? When you walk in and you experience the love that is in the place. When people cares for you. If you're not here on a Sunday and we call you, it's not to check up on you. It's because we care for you. This is what love is. This is what attracts people. This is what builds churches. We don't have to put an ad into a paper, a newspaper, and say there's a church around. We don't have to go around. No, God builds His church. Is that right? And love attracts people. And you know what love do? It gives service, and then faith is built through the preaching of the Word, and patience leads right into that. This is exactly the same that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God for you always making mention of you in your prayers, remembering without ceasing, what? Your work of faith. Your work of faith. This refers to James. When James it, it writes, he says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. This is works done after the cross. You see, work is an effort driven by faith. Driven by faith. And then he talks about labor of love. You know what labor means? It costs you something. You know that the world is onto it as well. They say, and they sing a song, love hurts. Have you heard that? Love hurts. They're talking about a physical pain when somebody leaves you. That's different from what the Bible teaches. Love costs you something. You do an effort because you love somebody. He says the same here, the labor of love and the patience of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. This is wonderful about this church. I know your works. It is so wonderful. But the problem here is it's looking good on the surface, but there's a big problem underneath. Have you met some of those people in your life? Have you seen some of those organizations in your life? This is one of those. He says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Remember this little temple, therefore, Sibyl, Sinbethe, the God of prophecy. It manifested itself into this woman called Jezebel. Now, most probably her name wasn't Jezebel, but she was giving a spiritual name for a woman in the Old Testament. Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 16 to 21, you can go and read that. She enticed people into following Baal worship. Baal in the Old Testament was the fertility God, sexual immorality. Here we find the same thing. I find it fascinating in this place where we have this prophetess spirit going around, of this woman going around preaching or, or prophesying that it infiltrated the church. He says it. He says, I've got a few things to give because you allow that woman there. You allow her. And think back, remember what we said, this place here was a place of these guilds, these trade unions. And they would come together, and they were Christians, 
who would be carpenters. And they would go to these organizations and sit down at these gatherings. And at these gatherings will be worshiping these gods. And there will be prophesying going on. And you as a Christian carpenter will sit there. And they will give out permits. If you become part of the trade union, you get a permit. And with that permit, you can conduct business. We've covered this last week. But here it was more to the front. And, and you would sit there, and before they start handing out these permits, they will have these meals. And they will have a ritual going on by worshiping this God. And they will offer the meats to the God. And then they will say, this is the offering meat of the gods given to you. And they will eat. Some of these people will eat of that meat. And then they will conduct in sexual immorality and will pull right into the church. It is a corrupt message. It says it's fine to do these things. It's fine to eat these sacrifice to idols, to indulge in sexual immorality. And this is in the order of the day, even in the church today. There are so many things that the church is accepting today which is blasphemy in the, in the sight of God. You know, when they, in the Old Testament, when a prophet was prophesying and it was wrong, what did they do with the prophet? They killed them. Go read your Old Testament. If that prophecy wasn't 100% accurate, they will pick up stones and they will kill the prophet. Nobody in the Old Testament do I find jumped up and down and say, I want to be a prophet, I want to be a prophet. No, no. It was a serious business. It was a dangerous business. If you stand up and talk in your own and, and say the Word of God, but it wasn't the Word of God, you're in trouble. Not these days. These days they say you can have a 50% heat rate. They don't even come up to 50% correct. They come up to 0%, but they'll give him another chance. Who knows Phil Pringle? He's in the uh, NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, and he was taped saying that a lot of the prophecies in the NAR, in that uh, Manifest Sons of God movement, he said that only 20% of it is true, the rest is rubbish, he says. Can you believe this? 20% heat rate, whereas the Bible in the Old Testament said it had to be 100% accurate. Friend, be careful for people who jump up and down and shout that they are prophets. Here we find it. It pulls you away from God into all of these other things, entices you into doing things against God. And this happened to this church here. They've got this lady, this woman there, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And you see, she does two things. She teach and she seduce. She teach a false doctrine. She would say, oh, come on. We're in the enlightened age. You can have these things. You can mix that. How are you then as a Christian going to conduct business if you don't do this? How are you going to be able to do that? You have to do this for survival. And God knows. Let me prophesy over you. Thus is the Lord, dear fellow Christian. You can partake in these things because I know that your heart are pure. And that says the Lord, and you can't go against it because it's the Lord's Word. Then I say, where is it in the Bible? Oh no, it's not there. It's revelational knowledge. But thus says the Lord. And you know what? People fall for that. Because now they can live compromised lives. So she would teach and she will seduce. Yes, the Bible said there were women prophetesses in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. But the Bible is against women teachers in the church. Go and read what Paul says about this. Seduces by two things to commit sexual immorality and things sacrificed to idols. Now see what the Lord says. He says in verse 21, And I will give her time to repent of her sexual immorality. What a gracious God. What a gracious God we serve. Look, I'm not here this morning to condemn, because I can't condemn. But I'm here to warn, because Jesus warned this church, and I'm only doing what He said. I'm saying His words, warn. He gave her time to do what? To say, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, but let me try again. No. Repent. 
Repent means I'm going to walk away from that. In other words, this lady or this woman who was in that church with that Jezebel spirit, if you repent, you stop immediately what you're doing. You ain't no prophetess, and there ain't no prophecy from God. If you repent, you walk away from that, and you follow Christ as one of His disciples. See, build our own disciples. That's why she taught. There is some scholars who believe that this could have been the pastor's wife. Now in verse 22, he says, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. He will cast her into a sickbed. You know, that is even gracious. That is even gracious, if you think about that. I've seen plenty of people, once they're in a sickbed, who reflect on their life and repent of their ways. A sickbed rather than it's quickly cut off where you don't have time. Twice he showed it to her. He says, I'll give her time. And what is the time into a sickbed? You do not want to be in a sickbed before you come to Christ. Now while the time is good, accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And then he says, to those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, what they do. I will kill her children with death. It sounds terrible when you hear about children that's going to be killed, but this is in a spiritual sense that he talks about. Those who follow that doctrine, those who follow that kind of thing, and the church is arrived of it today. There's a warning here for the, 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 the modern church today. He will kill the children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each according to their works. According to their works. When He says, I'll kill the children, you remember that we talked about the second death in the previous churches. Though this could be a physical death, it talks about a second death, separation from God. Whereas these people are in these churches worshiping and shouting hallelujah and sing their songs about themselves, there cometh a day, friend, when God will come to them and judge them. And you know what He will do? He will kill the children with death. And the churches will know that He searches the mind. And I like this. When I look into this minds and hearts, you know what the word minds they mean? It actually means kidneys. You say, well, that's strange. How come will He say kidneys and your heart? Because if your kidneys aren't well, you're not well. That was a phrase in those times in the ancient world. If your kidneys gives you problems, you've got problems. And that is the phrase that he uses there. And I will give to each of you according to her works. Now, let's go on to the next verse. He says, verse 24, Now to you I say to the church. You see, he addressed Jezebel from those two, and now he turns to the church and he says, to you I say, and to the rest entire Thyra, the whole city, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. He talks here about the depths of Satan. He talks about doctrine. When he started talking to this church, what title did he use? He said, the one with the flaming eyes, which can see penetratingly into this. He knew the depths of Satan. And here he says, you who do not, you do not, what will happen? He says, I will put you no other burden. Verse 26, and he overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him. I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And again, this talks to you and me. He who has an ear to the singular, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This was meant for Kingsway Church here today as well. He says, I'll give him power over the nations. What will happen to the other, the children who follows this prophetess? They will be killed. But the ones who overcome, the ones who are not corrupted by this corruption of Jezebel, what will happen to them? They will have power over the nations. 
And this is going to be set up in the, uh, uh, the millennial. And you're going to rule as kings and priests with him and have power over the nations. Would you, would you rather go to another place than have this? No. This is a promise. And then he says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He talks about Christ here. So this talks to the church. He will give the church power over the nations or those who overcome. But he, Jesus Christ, what will he do? He will rule them with a rod of iron. And it's interesting when he uses a rod of iron because it can't be bent. We're talking about a corrupt church here who's bending every single rule that you have. Yet he talks about the rod of iron which cannot be bent. And then he says, I will give him the morning star. And I love this. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, he says it as, as well. He says, I, Jesus, because you might ask, who's the morning star? And he says it in verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. In the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Who's the morning star? Jesus. And he says it there, what a promise it is. He says, I will give him the morning star. Who? The one who is not overcome by corruption. In this place of corruption. Who is not bent away by the teaching of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel is still working today. He's working in societies, he's working in governments, in countries, and he's working in the church. It's still alive. The spirit of Jezebel can operate and manifest itself in males, in men. We see it so many times. It is a spirit of power. But the one who overcomes, he will give him the morning star, the real morning star. This is the corrupt church. The church is corrupt today. There are many churches which is corrupt. To complete today, let's compare this now to our parable. You remember that we are still uh, comparing the parables of Matthew chapter 13 with revelation there's seven churches and seven parables the first church the loveless church and what parable was that the sower the seed the second church was smyrna the persecuted church and what parable was it the wheat and the tares who grew up together and the third church is Percamos. you remember Percamos, the, co the compromising church and we saw the seed the mustard seed who grew into a tree which was a problem and the birds of the air came in because the church compromised. Now what would you think this parable will talk about? Because now we talk about corruption. If you look over in Matthew chapter 13 verse 33, we find the fourth parable. And this is amazing. It's not coincidence. He says in another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Leaven which a woman took, a woman, wait a minute, in Tithira, what was, what was that lady's name? Jezebel, a woman, and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. I find it absolutely amazing. Because leaven corrupts. What do you do? You take a little bit of leaven, you put it in the dough, and what happens? It corrupts the dough. It blows up. It's a corruption. And here we find it. Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 13 exactly what he's telling now in the Isle of Patmos to John for the fourth church to Tithe, the corrupt church. And see now all the pointers here. The, uh, he says that a woman took it and hid it. It was something which was done that nobody sees. It's doing it secretly around the corner where nobody could see it. And that is what's happening in the corrupt church. What is happening in the corrupt church? We're going to prophesy. We're going to talk about revelational knowledge. Oh, God says that. But the agenda is hidden. It's corruption. And the problem with this is, when see hid it, could you see it straight away? No. It takes time for you to see the corruption coming out, isn't it? I mean, when I start doing the dough and I put in the leaven, can you see it straight away? Can you see the corruption straight away? No. You wait for a few hours and then what do you see? The whole thing is blown up. And this is what's happening with the church, who is corrupted. 
You can't see it in the beginning. Oh, they come with these enticing words and these beautiful words. Oh, God promises you everything. She's going to be all right, mate, and all of these kind of nice things. And they pull you in with that. And what happens? They are after your soul. They plant the seeds of corruption. And you can only see the corruption after a time. Same as leaven. So here our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 13 already, already warned the people about what is going to take place in their day and age, but also in our day and age. And this is the thing about corruption. It, in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. Corruption takes over. You know what you need to do is if you find in in the place where the corruption is, you find a little, you need to cut the corruption out. You need to cut it out to save the rest of the batch. If, you want, if you've got something which is 100% pure, how much corruption do you need to put in there to make it corrupted? It could be 0.000.1%. If there's corruption in it, it is corrupted. I saw this personally when I, I love to make eggs. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely the champion in making eggs in our house. So uh, this day I was standing over there and I had the pan there and I had my eggs out. And I'm going, this is going to be great. And I had the first egg and I, I showed you the other day in church I could do it with one hand. This is because I practiced. Yeah, I'm going, put it in and it was perfect. And I took the second one and it's in. And I took the third one and I hit it and I threw it in. And as soon as it goes in, it was not a good egg. It was not a good egg. The first two were 100%. The third one was not. Now, it's not as if I could say, oh, no, I'm just going to scoop out that, is it? What do you have to do? You have to throw the whole that out. And now I'm sitting with a question mark in my mind. So I washed out the pan and I put it back in and I took the first one. What is the first thought in my mind? Is this one going to be bad? Cracked it, go in, it's good. What's the second one? Cracked it going, it's good. And I go, oh goodness, not the third one. Because now I've done all the work. You see, this is what corruption does. It puts a question mark in your mind. Friend, this is for the churches. Let me now apply to you in my heart. You see, the church can be corrupted. And you can be corrupted. It takes just a slight bit of corruption to come into your life. And you live this perfect life on the outside, but there's this corruption sitting there. And you know the danger of this is, like this woman, like the other churches, people might not see it the first time, but in, in a space of time, corruption will come out always. Corruption will come out. So how do you get away from corruption? You repeat. You say, Lord, wash my heart with your blood. Let us pray for our churches. I want you to pray for this church. Let no corruption come into this church. You know, we preach the Word of God, and, and this is not my church. I'm going to be quite frank, honest with you. It's not my church. First of all, it's God's church. Jesus Christ is the pastor of this church. I'm just standing here with delegated authority to preach. That's all. It is all of us. So if you sit there and you find one piece of corruption coming in, you need to speak out. You need to speak out, friend. Now if that piece that you speak out about is corruption, then you need to take correction when corruption is turned out. Are, are you with me what I'm saying now? Now if anybody can't take correction, there's a problem according to the word. Not according to what is your standard of rightness. It's according to what is the word standard of rightness. I've said many things over the years, and I'm, I'm outspoken. Some of you know me. I'm outspoken about things, and I will say it to correct it. But I stand every single time on the Word of God. And if I'm wrong, I need to repent, and I need to turn back and say I'm sorry. And repent to God. And that's to each one of us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your Word. I thank you, Father, that we learned about corruption this morning. And Father, I don't want to be corrupt. And I ask you, Lord, to come with your Holy Spirit to test and search every part of my heart and my brothers' and sisters' hearts here, Lord, to see if there's not one little piece of leaven, maybe in a corner of one of the 
the, the rooms of my heart somewhere, Lord. And if so, Lord, help me to identify and cut it out, Lord, in Jesus' name. So, Father, we thank you that we've learned from this church. It is a serious message, Lord, and it's a timely message for our day and age. And we want to pray for our church, Lord. We're not here to satisfy man. We're not here to please man, Lord, but here to, we, we're here to please you. And we pray, Lord, for as long as you've got this open door for us to, to be here and to preach your word, Lord, let it be done in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Janelle to come to the front as we uh, as we want to quickly pray for him and his family.